Welcome to the Health Ignited Podcast with your hosts, Dr. Nick and Sonia Jensen. We are partners, parents, business partners, doctors, yoga teachers, and retreat leaders. We promise to bring you real conversations to awaken and ignite your potential to live your best life possible. Join us each week as we dive into topics varying from brain health, biohacking, hormones, and longevity, to relationships, parenting, meditation, and more. Together, creating community and building stronger foundations for the generations to come. Hello again, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Health Ignited with uh, my amazing wife, Dr. Sonia Jensen. Hello, how's it going? Good. I always like to ask you how you're doing. I know, but I got you first. Yeah, you did. Yeah. You totally did. Well, uh, we uh, we have an important topic today, mm-hmm. uh, one that yeah. hits home for, for us and, and some of our own family history and whatnot. But um, uh, yeah, how are you feeling about this topic? I think it's a really important topic and I love that we get to interview someone that we really look up to and someone that's been a mentor of ours for over 10 years. And I think um, just hearing his story is going to be really powerful and for us to just be able to relate to our listeners in a way that I hope that everyone listening will create some space in their hearts to be open and vulnerable themselves and to understand that we as humans have so many sides and angles and that this conversation is important. Yeah. So it just to, without further ado, we're going to be talking about addictions and recovery and all sorts of things in that related topic. So um, we're going to introduce our guest. His name is Dr. Aaron Van Gaver. He's currently practicing He's a naturopathic physician currently practicing in Toronto. And uh, for those of you who are listening abroad, that is uh, Toronto, Canada. Um, and he's, uh, he's been at the forefront of recovery and addictions in our naturopathic field. He's, he's a sought after doctor to speak, um, to teach, to educate. He teaches courses on how to do this for other doctors. He's such an, an important uh, voice in our community. And I don't know if you remember this, Aaron, but you actually helped us get our clinic going uh, because you helped us with our business plan. And so this guy, this guy's been a mentor for us in naturopathic school. He helped us with our training. Um, he's been a mentor in, in the field of business and uh, someone to look up to in, in the world of wellness and recovery. And we're so honored to have uh, you on the call today, Dr. Aaron. Right on. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'll, I'll be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit nervous. Isn't that weird? I mean, I do so <laughs> Stuff. I do. I speak so many times, but it's, uh, I guess because of the topic, it's something that is quite raw and quite personal to me that uh, it's difficult to be vulnerable and to, and to kind of share your story. But um, having said that, I mean, it, it's such an important uh, topic. I'm so passionate about um, mental health and addiction. And um, I mean, that's why we're talking today, because I mean, there's something I got to share. And so I'm glad to Absolutely. be invited. Definitely. Well, you know, when we when we uh, launched our podcast, uh, you were someone that we couldn't wait to have a conversation with just because this this is such a universal problem. And and it's being, you know, we before we got on the call, we talked about the stigma attached to addictions and recovery. And, and it's so important, I think, to just recognize that that we've all probably dealt with it on some level, you know, whether not everyone's been living on the street and, you know, painting that sort of awful struggle that so many people do deal with, but many people don't realize the insidious onset of how this shows up in our lives. So, um, you know, we're, we're really interested in hearing how you got in this field, uh, telling us a little bit more about your story. And um, yeah, so take it away, please. Yeah, no, thank you so much for this opportunity. Uh, yeah, addiction. I mean, I don't think anyone 
is born, grows, goes through school and thinks, hey, I want to struggle with addiction when I get older. And uh, the truth is addiction hits so many different walks of life. It isn't, as you said, it isn't necessarily people that are living on the street, although we see a lot of, of that in the news and it's it, it breaks my heart to see the people that are struggling and that don't have the resources to to really pull themselves out a lot of the time. Um, but it hits, you know, the electricians, the doctors, the lawyers, the, you know, the accountants, it, it hits all walks of life. And, and, and it hit me. And so a lot of what um, I've done as a here in Ontario, I have to call myself a naturopathic doctor, I can't use the term physician. So in BC, we can but uh, working as a naturopathic doctor, you know, a big struggle for me really was admitting that I actually had an addiction, like how many naturopathic doctors are out there, probably are lots of them out there that struggle with addiction. And um, that was a big hurdle for me to get over. It's how, how can I struggle with addiction and then also be natural and herbal and, and all that stuff. So, you know, I, my journey really started when I was 18 years old, when I had my first drink of alcohol. And, you know, before that, I said there were six things that I would never do. I mean, I was a goody two shoes in high school. I, I said I would never drink, I said I would never do drugs. I would never get pierced. I would never get tattoos. I would never, <laughs> I would never smoke cigarettes, and I would never own Doc Martens, and um, which is ridiculous. But <laughs> the first dude, I blew all six of those things, and the for the first time I had a drink, from the first time I smoked a joint, from the first time, you know, I did a hit of ecstasy. I did a line of cocaine. I was hooked, and. The thing is, is I went through school, I went through university, I went through naturopathic school, and I was someone who would have been called a partier. If you actually were to talk to classmates of mine, whether it was university or, or CCM, uh, which is the naturopathic college in, in Toronto, they would say, yeah, Aaron party, he knew how to have fun. And uh, it all started with me um, trying to fit in. And I struggled with my sexuality in high school. And um, you know, the first place that I actually felt like I fit in was in the club scene, in the rave scene. And so, you know, my whole journey started when I was 18, started when I started going to parties in Toronto. I used to hang out until six, seven o'clock in the morning, wearing big fat pants, having glow sticks and wooden beads with, with I had hair at the time and I had like platinum hair and fire engine red hair. And I danced all night to music and I met people and I connected with them. And uh, which is an interesting side note to this is we see a lot of research now on MDMA in psychedelic assisted psychotherapy in being able to connect and quite honestly, therapeutically MDMA or ecstasy was really helped break down my, my um, blocks and I connected with so many people. So it isn't surprising to me to realize that um, I would connect in that scene. And of course, uh, this whole time I was doing a degree at University of Guelph and I would take a, a Greyhound bus in Saturdays to Toronto and um, being a young gay boy, I, I connected and I went to the bars, went to after parties and um, yeah, I never thought it was a problem. Quite honestly, I did that quite successfully or not successfully for a good eight years and uh, even all the way through my naturopathic program. And it wasn't until I moved out to Vancouver when things started to be a bit of an issue. 
Uh, I moved out in Vancouver in 2003, and probably not much after that, I met you guys, actually. I started teaching at the Naturopathic School out there in probably 2004, 2005, and you guys would have been in third or fourth year. And, um, and even at that point, I still didn't quite understand that I was struggling with an addiction. It wasn't until I realized I had a problem that I realized I had a problem. And that may sound a little bit weird. I didn't realize I had a problem until I realized I had a problem. And that's a common theme for a lot of people with addiction. It wasn't until I started trying to put rules on my use. It wasn't until I kept saying, you know what, I'm not going to use tonight or this weekend I'm going to take off that I realized that I, I couldn't stop. And it wasn't that I could never stop 100% of the time. It's that little things started happening. You know, my Saturday nights rolled into Sundays, rolled into Monday mornings. Um, you know, I would start, you know, I was teaching full time at the time. I would stop, I would start missing Mondays. And uh, I battled for a good couple years really trying to uh, control my use. And uh, what was once a very social thing, hanging out with lots of people, um, became a very solitary isolating thing and there's this adage in the addiction world and it's the drug wants you to be alone and mm -hmm. that's how it takes you out you know when it can actually destroy all your relationships like that's when it's got you and that's exactly what it did for me um and there was uh, i'll share this one instance it was quite profound it was uh, i shared this with a patient the other day actually and i was at a bar in vancouver and i was so weird even saying this, right? Um, I was doing lines of cocaine in the bathroom, as a lot of people do, and with a bunch of my friends. And I remember, I feel like the emotions as I'm saying this, right? Because it's there's some guilt. There's some guilt in there. I wouldn't say shame anymore, but there's definitely some guilt. I remember finishing, and I opened the door, and right on the other side of that door was a patient of mine. And I remember going, holy... Can I swear? Yes. Yes. <laughs> like, holy shit. That's not even a real swear word, right? Holy shit. I got to get my act together. And that was the moment I'm like, okay, I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. And, um, and that actually didn't finish it. I, I still was going on. And it was in 2013. I know I said before we started, I wasn't going to give dates, but it's, I can't not do the timelines, right? And I was working full-time at the college that I met you guys at. And I remember missing work for like the umpteenth time. And I remember writing the Dean. I'm like, and I just was very raw and very open about what was going on. And I quit my job and it was around my 35th birthday. It was actually just after my 35th birthday. It would have been like eight years ago from right around now. And I said, this is my issue. I need to get some help. And that was the first time I actually admitted that I had a problem and that I couldn't, couldn't handle this myself. I need, I need some external help. And I did this outpatient program. It was a great program. It was, um, Vancouver day talks is what it was called. And it's a, a program that's supported by the ministry and it's, um, the other name is Vancouver Withdrawal Management Services. They've got a detox program where you basically go during the day and then you go home and you can stay at your place. And it's meant for people that have a safe living environment and, 
and what I should say is this whole time, my partner, AJ, whom I, we've been together for 11 years, is quite like an angel, really. He created that safe environment for me. And I opened up to my parents who live in Ontario, and they're incredibly supportive. And, and I did this six-week program, and it was successful. You know, like I was able to, to give up drugs. Um, I still smoke marijuana. So at that time, I really believed that there was a medicinal effect that cannabis gave me. And uh, in the addiction world, we call it, they call it, we call it the, the marijuana maintenance program. And there is some research that would show that uh, sometimes actually reaching for marijuana can create a bit of space. It slows you down so that you're not so reactive. So instead of me, you know, having an emotional cue, a trigger, and my brain automatically shooting a, a hit of dopamine, because that's, that's how strong our brain is, right? Like the neurotransmitters and the electronic circuitry in our brain, like it's instantaneous. And I actually would feel like I was high before I even had any substance in my body. And so if I could actually smoke a joint and create a bit of space, I was less likely to reach for my drug of choice or my drug of non-choice. Uh, and that actually was really helpful, you know, for five years minus one day, I was able to um, not reach for drugs other than, of course, marijuana. And, and then three years ago, which was probably where things, uh, you know, I, I went to Hawaii for my 40th birthday and I was having the best year. Like I traveled to Barbados, I traveled to Nicaragua, did a, a wonderful yoga retreat. Um, I was going with my partner to celebrate my 40th birthday. We we're on a catamaran boat, like in Honolulu. Like I could see that I have videos of the sun setting. There's a surfer going across my way. Like it was just so serendipitous. And then that night, my poison kind of snuck into my life again. And it sideswiped me and it took me out for a good six months. And it was, it ravaged me to the point where, um, and at this time I had obviously stopped teaching uh, and I got my private practice back up. And I do want to come back to that because there's some really interesting things that happened in that time. Um, but it, it took me out and it was a pretty ego destroying, which I think is actually a really good thing. It, it got me to where I'm at right now. Uh, but it, it, it started to destroy like the, the collateral damage that that caused my relationship, my family, uh, it started to affect uh, my practice and my friends. So um, yeah, that's that was the big impetus for me moving back to Ontario actually. Mm. But before I go into that, if you don't mind, I, I do want to talk a little bit about the gifts that recovery gave me, you know, in 2014, 15, 16. When I finished the detox program, I realized that I needed to make my journey mean something. Like I couldn't just go through this myself and, and it not help other people. So one of the most powerful things that I did in that, that first round was I started a video blog. There's still a website to this day. I haven't actually looked at it in a long time, but Phoenix from the Ashes was the name of it. It's a Weebly account. I don't even know if it's still there, but I'm sure it is. And every day I would either blog or do a video blog of my recovery. And it was I'm bawling my eyes out. I'm um, doing my exercise routines. I'm talking about triggers and coping. And, and my goal at that point was to really 
turn this blog, video blog, into a book, and um, which may materialize one day. Who knows? Uh, and in that journey, I realized that I also wanted to go back to school. And I went back to school to become an addiction counselor. And so when I started my practice, so in 2010 to 2013, I, I taught full time and I didn't have a private practice. That's when I met you guys. Um, I then, maybe it was a little bit before that, in 2014, I started a private practice again. And I started focusing in on addiction. And uh, I met this patient who really was struggling with a similar addiction that I had struggled with. And she had come to me talking about this amazing neuro-recover formula. It was the use of NAD and some amino acids um, that was developed by this guy named William Hitt. And uh, she really wanted to go down to this treatment center in San Diego. Because her story was very similar to mine, um, and I was really interested in actually doing some healing on myself, I accompanied her down to this, this clinic in San Diego and um, trained under this doctor. She got the treatment. I brought the treatment back into uh, Vancouver, finished the treatment for her and her, her partner at the time who also struggled with the same addiction. And then I treated myself with it. And that was amazing. Like the clarity, the, the ability to smell, taste, to see clear. Like I felt like my body had been repaired. And so part of this, you know, 2014 to 2018 was all about helping people with addiction. And, and I fine-tuned an uh, addiction recovery program called the Neuro Recover Program, where I utilized my now training in counseling and recovery coaching with my knowledge in naturopathic medicine, utilizing these pretty cool IV treatments. And I was on a journey and like this path to help other people kind of evolve from where they currently are to their 2.0 version, their 3.0 version. And uh, that, it was very successful. Um, I helped a lot of people. I learned a lot about addiction from helping others. And I learned a lot about myself from that process too. Um, you need to want it or else it probably isn't going to work. If your family wants you to do it more than you want to, if I want you to do it, or if I want you healthy more than you want to be healthy, it's just not going to work. So in that process of helping dozens and dozens of people, uh, there was an emotional toll that um, I'm a very emotional person, a very empathic person. And you can only do so much of that stuff without it starting to eat away a little bit at you. And I wasn't really good at self-care at the time. I had done a lot for myself in 2013 and 14 for self-care, but then I moved myself, boom, right into work and helping other people. And what I realized at that part is my boundary setting wasn't really great. I was less likely able to say, you know what, this is my day off. I can't actually work with you. Or, and I was more likely to work 10 days in a row. And unfortunately, the program that I worked was really a 10 day in a row program. So if I couldn't find someone to help me with that, I was going in on Saturdays, going in on Sunday, and I was, I was doing the work. And I loved it, but in retrospect, I see that that really was the start of my relapse. You know, I could see things slipping. I could see my self-care slipping probably for two years before anything really happened. And uh, so inevitably, I was setting myself up for 
another relapse. You know, um, and throughout this whole time, I, I'll say again, I was smoking marijuana. I was using marijuana as a crutch, a marijuana to help um, deal with my reactive mind. And uh, it worked really well, but it was still dampening who I was as a spiritual person, as an emotional person. And it prevented me from actually learning some real tools to help deal with emotional regulation. And I dysregulated very quickly. And I, the only coping strategy I ever had for that was, uh, unfortunately, screaming and yelling at my partner or at the inanimate car that was driving and cutting me off or smoking pot. So the inevitable happened on my 40th birthday and I had a relapse and I just had a very difficult time getting myself back. And uh, so yeah, a lot of collateral damage, uh, almost lost my relationship and almost lost my, my, my clinic, almost lost really everything. And in 2017, 2018 is when this happened. And um, for about six months, I was just reacting. I was doing everything I could to keep my head above water. Um, for the first three or four months, no one knew there was an issue. And uh, I mean, I think if you look back, if people look back, they could tell something wasn't right, but I wasn't letting them know what was going on. And it was like April of 2018 when I left my partner and I just remember the tears and the sobbing that happened from that. And I just can remember the hyperventilation of, of AJ and, and I realized, fuck. And in that moment, I looked at him and I said, I've relapsed, I've relapsed hard. And it's been for the past three months, four months. And so that was a bit of relief in terms of just actually acknowledging it. Because man, that acknowledgement is, it's like the hardest step, one of the hardest steps. And uh, reached out to my parents who lived in Ontario and my dad flew out. It's a little embarrassing to even say this, but it was, you know, I'm a 40 year old kid that is flailing and struggling. And my dad had to come out and just be there with me. And I mean, Oh, love my parents so much. They're amazing to this day. They have been instrumental in my recovery. And so my dad stayed out for a month while we tried to figure out what I was going to do. And then my mom flew out and spent a month. And in that time when my mom came out, I had found a treatment, treatment center in Squamish called the Chopra Center. What I loved about the Chopra Center is from a philosophical, spiritual perspective, it's exactly what my spirit needed. I needed to um, rid my body of the toxins I was consuming from foods. Uh, it was vegetarian. I wasn't eating meat. Um, they did yoga and meditation and there was some freedom while I was there. It was out in nature and it was Ayurvedic principles, no caffeine. And that drive, I, I kind of sabotaged myself 
the first time. I, I needed to do the admission by a Saturday. I didn't call on the Saturday, so I couldn't do the admission for the Monday. So I had to wait another Saturday. And my poor mom, she was just waiting. She was just waiting to bring me there because the truth is my addiction held my parents, my family, my friends, my partner hostage. Like, ev it was like they couldn't breathe until they knew that I was in a safe space. Holding them hostage, that's exactly what happened. And uh, so I remember driving up that morning and I remember smoking so much weed and calling them in the morning saying, I just smoked a lot of weed, I don't think I can go, right? They're like, no, you're getting up here. And I was supposed to be there for 10 in the morning and I ended up being there for like at 2 p.m. And that poor counselor, his name is Neil, wonderful guy, he waited there and waited and waited and waited. And that drive from Vancouver to Squamish was the longest drive in my life, yet the quickest drive. And the closer I got to the doors in Paradise Valley, the younger I got. There was a point in which I was kicking and screaming in the Jeep. I almost jumped out of the Jeep and I just, I remember bawling my eyes. And I just remember my mom was bawling her eyes out. And I'm sure my partner was like, just get the fuck to Chopra Center. Just get him to Chopra Center. And uh, a little comedic relief, my dog just came in and she's drinking away. <laughs> oh. She she was around. No, no, we got her after that. Anyways, so uh, we got to Chopra Center and the hardest thing I've ever done in my whole life, honestly, was walk up those six stairs. Could have been seven. And I walked through that door and Neil looked at me as like, you're so brave and so courageous to have made it up these steps. And it was so fucking hard. Oh my God, even to this day. Um, and my life changed in that moment. Um, everything wasn't all peachy keen. I still had my struggles. Um, but I was there and I was supposed to stay for four weeks and I stayed two weeks because I thought I had it after two weeks. And, um, you know, I did my morning meditation walks and I met some great people and um, had amazing food. And I eventually connected with doing yoga and meditation. And, and all this time I found all the faults in the program. I have this really strong superhuman power of finding the fault in everything. And uh, what my current Bonnie knows how to do that very well too. I by do. the way, <laughs> my current <I'm> expert. <laughs> Carl's like Aaron. Just what works. Just focus on what's working. Anyway, that's a few years later. But I, I left Chopra Center, um, and I had a good fifty-five days of like no meat, no caffeine, nothing. I even gave up marijuana. And that was amazing. I went home to a family reunion in the summer. And in that summer, I realized that it's time for me to move back to Ontario. And um, so that fall, we put our condo in Gastown on the market. I found someone to take over my practice and um, sold it in October. And I had six months where I rented back from my place and I made this transition so that by the end of May, 2019, I was moving back to Ontario and I was going to start my life closer to my family where my brother and parents and my partner's family is. 
And uh, all was good until I started tripping up again. And I started with a smoking a friggin' joint. It was like, oh, I can have a, a little puff in that puff one week, turn into another puff another week, turn into a joint, turn into more weed than I ever smoked in my life. And uh, I moved up to Squamish uh, in the beginning, December, January of 2019. And I stayed with a, a colleague of ours, a really good girlfriend of ours and um, lived in her nanny suites. And, and I, I wasn't working at the time. And my goal was just to stay sober. And I wasn't, I wasn't working my recovery. I learned all these tools. I left the program and I started smoking weed again and I wasn't working my recovery. And we talk about this thing in the 12 step fellowship about geographics. Geographics never work. And what a geographic is, is thinking that you can pick up and move to a different location, not change anything about yourself and everything's going to be magically corrected and, and made all better. It doesn't happen. So I came back, um, me and my partner moved in with my parents for the for a couple months, and that was planned, and uh, the and everything was fine there. That was the moment where my parents finally gave in to the fact that I smoked pot, and they're fine with that. They're like, well, at least it's just marijuana. And uh, eventually found a place in Toronto. This would have been last fall, and things were going okay, and it just... I just couldn't get on top of things. And, and then like March happened and COVID hit and my mother found out she had breast cancer and we had moved up to my parents' place because my partner lost his job. Our naturopathic doctors in Ontario couldn't practice. We were considered non-essential. And so instead of like living in Toronto and smoking weed every single day, we went to my parents and my mom found out she had breast cancer. And I remember looking at her, I'm like, well, mom, you can't drink now. Not that she drank lots, right? But she'd have a glass of wine here and there. And she's like, well, if I'm not drinking, you're not smoking pot. And I'm like, okay, let's do this together. And so April 7th, just crazy, right? I mean, in my head, marijuana isn't a big deal, but the, the growth I've had since April 7th, which is my like complete 100% sober date, has been amazing. And my mom went on this journey and she's doing fine now. And I'm on this journey and I found 12-step recovery and I've got a sponsor and I'm working the steps and my life is so full. I'm finally focusing in on what makes me happy. I'm doing self-care every day. I've got every single day, I have this little book here and this is my self-care book and like, I write down what time I wake up, exercise, journal, meditate. I was also given a primordial mantra at Chopra Center and I, I meditate every day on that. I've got a journal that I've been keeping every single day. You know, it, it, it's amazing that I have stuck through this and my relationships are so much better. And I can never, I, I can't even imagine that marijuana and some people are gonna some people are gonna laugh at this and probably think that i'm just ridiculous because i know i was that person 
and you know, and there's a lot of other hard drugs that I that I did, but the one that kept me from I think moving on was my tie to the sticky spirit of marijuana. Mm. It made me heavy. It made me eat like crap. It took my motivation away. It kept me from being the best version of myself. And so I can say very proudly today that um, you know I've got over so seven months of complete sobriety. I'm, I chair 12-step meetings. I, I'm the librarian, uh, librarian of my chapter. I've got my sponsor just got 12 years. I am going to be giving this to him on Tuesday. My sponsee brother just got seven months. I pulled up the chip for him. And I don't know. It's like, it's amazing. And so now I'm, I'm like, I'm this happier, healthier Aaron. And I'm conscious of not getting so overwhelmed in the addiction world that I let my self-care go and I let my boundaries fall. And so the big struggle I have right now is how do I maintain this while keeping my boundaries strong so that I don't let other people, even though they're not wanting to, but I can give too much of myself sometimes. So that, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I don't want to have a Honolulu happen to me again. Mm. Wow. There's so oh, many that, gems. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. I was teary-eyed so many of those moments and there was so much heart in them and so much learning and just throughout it, there's just so much that I think everyone can relate to. And what I would love for you to do is, um, cause what you said right there, I think was important that, you know, some people are gonna laugh about marijuana cause it's something that's commonly and openly used. And I feel like that same relationship is wine, that same relationship is food, that same relationship is shopping or sex or whatever it is for that individual. So I would love for you to define what addiction is and what maybe it meant for you. So addiction from a textbook perspective is defined as a compulsive need. I mean, the difference between abuse and dependence, so dependence is addiction, abuse is is um, you know getting drunk and and missing work it's truly a compulsion there's a craving there's a compulsion and it doesn't matter how much you want to try to control it it can't be controlled mm -hmm. and i think with that that desire to control our outside environment for some people maybe they've suffered a trauma or they've had an experience where they felt like they were completely out of control and there was this one thing that they can like for me it was food when I was 13 I had anorexia and I couldn't control my outside environment so I was trying to control this one thing so that my voice could be heard from this my physical body deteriorating and you know but then there's some people that maybe haven't experienced a major trauma but then they're feeling that loneliness and that disconnect that you were speaking to that you know the that environment gave you that connection or that feeling of belonging that we all desire. And yet it also was a thing that took that away. So how can we reverse engineer and support people when they maybe have that first initial feeling of disconnect or that desire to want to fill that hole with something? Like what's something that they can do right away to help shift that in them? And that's a really great question. And I mean, just in saying that, the answer is, without going into too much depth, is connection. Like, how can they connect? Is it friends or family? I Before we chatted, I, I talked with a, a patient of mine who was struggling with some traumatic-based stuff, and it was almost like, okay, 
Look at, you are isolating yourself right now. Who in your life can you actually call upon? And if it isn't about connecting them with spirit, with person, with friends, with family, um, with community, uh, then it's crisis control. It's how do you um, distract? How do you self-soothe? How do you, without substances? So the conversation I have with her is like, go on Netflix. You, you need to watch something just to get your mind off of it. And um, so, you know, the short answer to, to this is, is connection. And there's mm -hmm. amazing TED Talk, and you probably have seen it. His name is Johan or Johan Hari. And he, the TED Talk is what you think you know about addiction is wrong. And mm. it's all about, see if you heard of Rat Maze or Rat Park. And it's basically, uh, they've taken, it's a it's SFU professor who did this. And they fed rats in isolation, heroin-filled water. And 100% of them. Mm. Yeah, I remember this, yeah. yeah. They, fill, they gave, you know, two water bottles, heroin laced, non-heroin laced in a, a, a big, huge cage with, tunnels and lots of different rats and the rats that lived in this community were less likely to actually reach for the heroin laced water of course we're not rats i get it but you know when you think about what a lot of people think when um they're struggling they have a loved one struggling with addiction is like i can't be around you i'm sorry not until you get yourself clean and sober am i able to actually come around you and that does more damage in my opinion and i think in research is pulling that connection away from people it's like no like i love you i want to be with you i can't be with you where you're at right now but let's go for coffee or let's go for a walk and so it's finding a way to connect which is so important mm -hmm. yeah that's such a powerful share and realization for people because it is so isolating uh, isolating when you're when you're in that you know mental emotional physical vibration of addiction and you're getting you know triggers everywhere and you're getting you know the sense of loneliness and and uh, apathy from others where you're looking for that that connection um so you know enter a, a program uh you know you you tried out a, a few different programs you did the Chopra Center, you, you did some, uh, the, the, the day talks one, you, you did some of the other ones. What, and how have those shaped you now in going, knowing what you've went through into delivering uh, support for somebody? Like what, what are some of the, the, I guess, the pieces that you really liked and, and feel that people really need when they're going through a process or when they're ready for that process, I should say. Yeah, without a doubt, and I get a lot of kickback on this is community support. And, and that could be 12-step recovery, whether that's NA or AA, um, smart recovery, which is more science-based, less spiritual-based, uh, refuge recovery, uh, life ring. These are all organizations where people that have a commonality meet and they help support each other. And there are, since COVID, it's crazy. Like, I go on meetings in Berlin, I'm down in LA, I'm over in Chicago, I'm in New York, I'm in, I'm, I come to Vancouver on Sundays. So it's like, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Like the, the, the recovery community has really gotten smaller and that has been kind of a blessing with COVID. Uh, and uh, so that's number one. It's like, if you can get past that first hurdle, which is, and I hear it all the time, 12 step isn't for me. I don't believe in God, it's too spiritual. And I mean, I could do a whole podcast on 12 step and, and how it, it, 
you know, it's your higher power, whatever that is to you. It doesn't have to be God, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's number one. Number two is is if it's not just like a, a wider recovery community, it's also finding who in your life are safe people and bringing them in. You know, there's going to be people that want just the best, 100% the best for you. Those people you need to bring into your inner circle. And yes, you may have burned a few bridges. And yes, you may have overwhelmed a lot of them. And so maybe not everyone you bring in. Uh, anyone that has doesn't want the best for you, people that may be friends, family, other people that have brought you down that path, you push them. You push them to an outer ring. You don't have to get rid of them per se, but they just can't be in your immediate vicinity. You know, spiritually, socially, physically. I also find your self-esteem. My self-esteem was so down. It was like mm-hmm. my self-worth, self-esteem was garbage. And the only way I was able to actually feel confident and comfortable and strong enough to actually get a bit of traction was to do little goals, little things that actually made my self-esteem get a little bit better and better. So a big component of the work that I do is not just connecting them with community. It's setting goals. And there's this beautiful moment that happens when you're working in addiction. At least this was for me. And for the first like three months of my active addiction, I looked at my addiction and I'm like, I don't want to be there. And I was kind of like moving forward in life, but walking backwards, right? I was, and I was like, I don't want to be there. I don't want to be there. And then there's this magical moment when you shift and you start looking at the future and you start looking at the goals, places you want to be. So you're no longer day day in, day out, focusing on not get, being in that addiction, but you're focusing in on the goals that you want to get to. And so I will work with people. It's, Recovery coaching is is the is the kind of coaching style, and it's about setting small goals. We'll set like a three month goal. What do you want to see yourself? Where do you want to see yourself in three three months? And then every week we set tiny little goals. So it may be you know drinking a glass of water when you wake up every day. It could be writing three gratitudes and sending that gratitude list to three people. Uh, writing a paragraph in your journal. Just little tiny things that. Um, I mean, they don't all have to be accomplished within a week, but when you come back and you touch base with them week after week after week, and you see that little pieces have been chunked off and they can look back like, oh my God, I can't believe I just set that routine up. That helps to raise self-esteem and it makes them more confident that they can do this, that I could do this. I love that. And Mm -hmm. I think for everyone listening, even if you feel like you don't have an active addiction or there's something going on in your life, these are tools that everyone should be utilizing all the time. We all need community, especially right now. We need community. We need those people that that circle of trust and we need these daily habits that give us that um, reverence for ourselves. And it takes us from that state of survival which most of us are operating in, even in the work that I do with women that are just holding down the fort at home with their kids and with their careers and all the things also fall into addiction of self-sabotage. So even in that realm, like really focusing on yourself and doing these little things that have like profound effects, I think are so important. So I think everyone should be taking this home and writing this down and Mm -hmm. doing it every single day. So you, you said something that I think is really important and it's sort of kept coming back to part of your story. But I think it's a very common one for so many people. And that's, you, you talked about your boundaries. You know, I couldn't help but think like, while well, I was listening to you, you had this boundary around marijuana. And then you had this, you know, boundary around these kind of rules, essentially, that where you, you allowed things to sort of permeate into, into who you are. And then it was just this sort of like container of mom 
of like, oh shit, here's a responsibility. Um, I want to see my mom get better. And it's, you know, in, in one way, your mom actually, it was through her sickness that helped you into yours. So I'd love you to sort of speak to, into your recovery, I should say. Um, I'd love for you to sort of speak to your, your lesson on boundaries and, um, and maybe that relationship and how that's changed you. It's funny you even say that because I was, who was I talking to yesterday? I can't even remember, but they asked me, oh, I, there's a, a fellow in, in the 12 step fellowship I'm in. And he's like, so, uh, and I've talked about my, because I've, I think as a son and a mother, there can be some enmeshment that happens with, with boundaries. And certainly I was living in the basement and she had come out to Vancouver and stayed a month with me. So there was quite a bit of enmeshment that we had. I've had this like umbilical cord that was attached to her. So boundaries with, with patients is one thing. Boundaries with family and friends is another. And, uh, this fellow asked me, he's like, so how are your boundaries with your mom? And I'm like, they're a lot better. And she, he's like, well, what do you mean? Tell me about that. And I'm like, I don't know if I can actually verbalize what's improved by that. Uh, so that's a really good question, Nick. And I actually probably need to meditate and think about, you know, how these have strengthened. I know that I'm not holding my parents hostage anymore. I know that you know, if I'm, if I haven't talked to my parents in a few days, their first thing isn't, oh my God, what's wrong with Aaron? So I think from that perspective, I build up some strong boundaries and maybe more so trust. Uh, it's, you know, I certainly am not um, leaning on them for emotional support. I'm not almost like sucking the energy out of them. You know what, Nick, that's a really good question. I probably, there's some work I probably need to, to do on that. I think everyone needs to mm -hmm. constantly reevaluate what their boundaries are. Um, and boundaries are for lots of, there's emotional boundaries, intellectual and physical boundaries. So it, it, that's a journal entry right there. <laughs> that's your homework that's today. Homework. Yeah. <laughs> well, Hello. the, the sense that I get in general, and as you were speaking about your journey and then with the story with your mom is that when you stepped in a place of service rather than attachment, something shifted for you every time. Mm. So even with your mom, it felt like it wasn't this um, attachment, but instead you went into the space of like, I'm going to serve my mom's um, uh, healing, healing <laughs> and by doing that, I'm going to serve myself. Like it feels like it, it feels like bigger than like this mm. worldly intellectual trying to describe what happened between the two of you it's like this energetic because I think you know as, as a mother myself to young boys I do feel like there's these energetic cords that we have but it's almost like both of you release that because both of you are in the same same space at that time and that same vibration mm -hmm. and you were both able to do that for each other instead of mama was coming to rescue son but son was there to help support and uh, give back yeah yeah insight I'm gonna journal on this one too tonight <laughs> <laughs> I want. I want to ask you. Um, and if if you have some if you have some more thoughts on that, please come back to that. And I know you only have a few minutes because you got to do your self care and go to the gym. But I do want to hear a little bit more on. Um, tell me about the importance of fixing the biochemistry because I mean the, the the process of healing the neurotransmitters and detoxing the cells and really like that 
tell us how that changes your ability to cope with your environment, to turn off that survival mode. And, and why is that such a necessary part of this process? Absolutely. I mean, it's funny, like here, I thought I was going to talk a lot about this and, and it was nothing like that, which actually is very similar <laughs> to how I work with patients. Like patients will come see me because they want what supplements and the IVs and all that stuff. And, and I end up talking to them about community and connection and, and support, but uh, it is a very important component for sure. Um, once you have all those other pieces in place and you've got that support that can really nurture you, um, our brains are from an evolutionary perspective are plastic they it's like a record player going around it's that groove once you're in an addictive cycle that groove gets deeper and deeper and deeper and it's hard to get out of there some drugs uh stimulants crystal meth heroin benzodiazepines alcohol any of them they activate certain neurotransmitter pathways in certain areas of the brain um uh, you know, prefrontal cortex, orbital prefrontal cortex is a big area. Dopamine is the main neurotransmitter for almost every single addiction out there. And what happens is you hear a sound, you smell something. The amygdala is like our surveillance system. It actually sees it, hears a noise, smells something, boom. It goes to the hippocampus that has stored memories. And there is this feedback loop, goes to the prefrontal cortex, which for healthy people says, you know what, it's okay. You're fine. You don't need to self-soothe. You don't need to reach for that joint. You don't need to do any of that stuff. But for someone with addiction, it's short-circuited. That prefrontal cortex is so slow and the limbic system, that midbrain just kind of takes over. And hmm. so when it comes to healing the brain, it's about breaking the cycle. And in the cases that I've done with these IVs, it's utilizing base amino acids that are used in the neuroreceptors in the brain because there's been so much damage, because there's some conformational change, these receptors actually start to build and remodel a little bit differently than what they should biologically be. So that our own body's neurotransmitters like GABA, for example, and benzodiazepines, they don't fit on that receptor quite well. So if we can flood the brain with these base amino acids and um, give the essential vitamins and minerals, the cofactors that are required for some of these enzymatic reactions and a production building blocks of the neurotransmitters, uh, neurotransmitter receptors, we can actually start to heal that. And you can't just heal it without just by IVs or supplements alone. It, it comes along with, you know, the community support and breaking the cycle, but uh, you can get a, a really far with cravings. You can get pretty far with um, helping to subdue some of those triggers. So helping to activate the prefrontal cortex. And I know Nick and Sonia, you guys have a lot of great tools that you guys can use neurofeedback, which is amazing. Um, and there are some vitamins and nutrients too. Uh, you know, N-acetylcysteine, even in the medical world, medical doctors are now starting to see that N-acetylcysteine can be used to delay the onset of relapse in alcohol and stimulants. There aren't many other supplements that the medical community has bounced upon, but N-acetylcysteine and the most recent guidelines have been added. So whether that's you're doing your antabuse or your naltrexone, now you've got actually a nutritional supplement that can that can be used and has been studied and tried to 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 elicit the same kind of delay and relapse. Um, you know, hydration is important. Sleep. You can't underestimate the the effects of sleep. Getting some healthy, clean proteins. There are, of course, the building blocks for peptides, healthy fats, our, our brain is like all fat pretty much. And um, yeah. 
I love it. I, I, I didn't mean to take you off the, 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 the course that we were on because it's such, that is the bigger piece though, which is what we really wanted to make sure that we got across. And we'll probably just have to end up doing another podcast with you to really well, but before you go, in. I have a question. For Sonia you. always has a question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know we just have a few more minutes left. Um, if you had that Aaron in front of you, that was going through those six months. <laughs> <laughs> when you turned 40, what is it that you'd want to say to him? So this is not the first time that I've had to think about this. Okay. Um, oh, if I were to look, if I was in Honolulu and I was standing in front of me, I'd be like, Aaron, what the fuck are you doing? Like, you, do, you don't have to do this. Like, turn around, walk away, go to AJ, give him a big, huge hug, give him a big, huge kiss, tell him you love him, get out to the beach, put your feet in the water, look at the moon, look at the waves, just be so thankful that you're alive. And when you get back to Vancouver, get yourself into some sort of recovery group, even though you haven't relapsed, you pretty much just did. And so you need the community support, you have to work that recovery, you just can't go once and never do anything again. There's so much self care that you've missed out on. And it's okay. It's okay, you haven't done it. But you just can't you just can't waste your life and you need to get that support yeah no. and how would you tell him in words of like support and how proud you are of him mm. is there any like gratitude that you have for him oh my gosh there's so much gratitude 40 year old aaron or four year old aaron yeah <laughs> You're resilient, you're determined, you're strong. Um, you have so much compassion and love for everyone around you. And I know that you see it in yourself. And I just want you to go back to that mirror, look at yourself. And as crazy as it's gonna sound, Aaron, but just tell yourself how much you love yourself. You have helped so many people and you deserve to help yourself. So many people need you, you need you. Just listen to what you tell people. And it's funny, as a little side, like my partner would sit there sometimes and be like, Aaron, why don't you listen to your own advice? And, um, and I finally am. Like I'm finally at 42, 43, finally listening to my own advice and I've got a clear head. And, you know, mar marijuana is not like the worst thing in the world. And um, I think a gift of me moving to Ontario is that I know no one that smokes weed here. Whereas I knew everyone that smoked weed in BC. So when I came here, I had no one to smoke weed with. And so that made it easy. And uh, I'm just so glad that I don't smoke, smoke weed anymore. So amazing. Mm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much, Aaron. I mean, the the, the stories you shared, the the challenge, like the, the back and forth. I mean, you just spoke to everybody who's ever dealt with this and continues to, and it's your your beacon of hope for people. And and to sort of like what I love about the story is just that you you had to dig in a little bit deeper. You had to dive in a little further to find out like you had some some loose ends that weren't totally taken care of. And 
you know, that's the journey into the mind and the soul and the spirit and the physical body that we all have to do. And, and it's worth it. It's so worth it. So thank you for showing up. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me guys. This was really actually quite therapeutic and it will be a nice few page journal entry for me. We can't wait. And we're going to have to do part two because uh, there's more to how you put all this together and, and uh, you know, we're, we're honored to speak with you and, and grateful for the, all you shared today. So have a great workout. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Health Ignited podcast. Be sure to download, subscribe and share as we build this conscious community together. You can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and our website, drsjensen.com. Please note all information on this podcast is not and should not be taken as medical advice. Please see a healthcare professional to receive the care needed. Thank you for sharing this time with us, igniting your health freedom. And welcome to the tribe.